Mark Dornan back with us. Uh, Yasmin is, is away traveling because she just loves to travel. I'm so jealous because I, I just basically go nowhere, don't I? I realized there was nearly no podcast because uh, I nearly died and Jazz is going traveling. Well, so. I didn't exactly say that in my last podcast that you nearly died. I just said that due to a serious illness, <laughs> Mark couldn't be here today. Oh my God, I just got afraid because David's just appeared in the door with a cat. <laughs> Hello, it's Smudge. Earlier today, Smudge, this is my neighbour's cat, she came in and I sat down on the ground and she basically just launched herself at me and put herself, uh, her paws on my neck and like, put like I don't know, she accidentally scratched my neck or whatever, but she likes to make love to my face with her face. There she is. Hello. Now she's making love to David's face. (laughs) She's the most loving cat. (laughs) She's literally doing it right now. So yeah, Mark nearly died. Yeah, cats and I nearly died. (laughs) These are things that happened. But it's all right. I'm not dead now. Bye-bye, Smudge. Right, you can go next. (laughs) What's she done? (laughs) Okay. Right, bye. Sorry, the listeners can't see the cat. She's like a little black and white ball of fluff. She is very cute. You can shut the door now, David. Thank you. Bye, Smudge. Okay, that was weird. She is lovely, though. Yeah, well, you didn't make it to the afterlife to come back. No, but it does fit with this. Like. Maybe that's why I, but the first thing that popped into my head to look at was the, the afterlife aspect of it, because, oh, I mean, yeah. it is quite, I feel like I've not really fully processed no, wait, the nearly dying, because it is really weird that I nearly died. Sorry, we haven't really told the listeners. I mean, I'm sure the listeners who listened to our previous podcast will know what this one will be about, but for those that don't, it's going to be about ancient Egypt. Uh, so we're actually both of us are focusing on um, the underworld and gods yeah. from Egypt, <laughs> stories from ancient Egypt about the underworld and death. So it's pretty goth this week. It is. And relevant to you. And relevant to me. Yes. <laughs> But you never got to the Axis Monday, which I didn't. But you did. I mean, I'm saying I didn't. I don't know. I was. I said you was. You were, but yeah, that's true. Maybe I was accessing the Axis Monday. What's the name of that guy? The seducer. Why didn't he come and get you? Maybe that the little black blob I was seeing was um like a agent. Samuel the seducer. Maybe he was trying to lure me off to be seduced. Okay. But I was too busy being delirious. So. Do you know, I know that's often a tangent, but you see, your icon is Samuel the Seducer. You know how he's got like how many wings? Six wings. Yes. Like three sets, no, three sets of wings. 
and they've got eyes on them. Isn't that like the traditional biblical version of an angel, what an angel looks like? So angels don't look like beautiful human beings. They're actually just a bunch of wings or and eyes and quite yeah. terrifying looking. There's one that's just a bunch of ma- what is it? I can't remember which one <laughs> is. There's one that's like thousands of different shaped mouths and if you look upon it you go insane because it looks so hideous. Yes. They're all just fucking like eldritch style monsters, I think. I also quite like that idea when people are like pure my granny passed away, but she's not just in heaven, she's an angel now and I like to be like, yeah, she's like some sort of Monster. Gigantic Lovecraftian <laughs> monster. Good on her. Massive eyeball and a thousand wings. <laughs> <laughs> no, but humans don't get to be angels. Angels are like celestial elemental beings, are they not? Like Yeah, they're like an yeah. entirely different horrific species. I think the idea is basically like God made the angels so that he had somebody that he was equal to, but then to boss around, but then decided to make humans without free will because would be easier to boss around. Obviously, like humans are made in his image, according to the Bible, which I don't quite believe. But anyway, well, I don't believe in any of it. But the the angels obviously would it would if it would make sense if he made something before he made humans that were completely different looking to him that he could boss around that look weird, or are they just aliens? I don't know. I don't know. It's also confusing because yeah, <laughs> we are made in God's image, but God is non corporeal. So how can you be made in the image of something that doesn't have a form? Maybe it was God I was seeing. Maybe he was the weird black pulsating blob. Oh, that's that's quite dark. I don't like that. If that's what it is, a dark pulsating blob. Mm. Mind you, I've been seeing things at the corner of my eyes recently. I don't know if it's just because I've not been sleeping. Well, we are all dying slowly. Eventually, we will eventually die. We just don't know when it's going to happen. It could happen any time. could happen now. So beware. Okay. <laughs> What Sometimes you just fall down five times and then you're dead. Oh, yeah, I learned that you, last week. You might not even know you're dead and you're still carrying on with your day and it, you just feel like time's not really going by or you don't notice it, but you're just That really upset me. I was like, oh my God, if I died and it <laughs> just continued to be the same, that'd be really shit. It would be shit, but you wouldn't know you're dead, so how would you know? True. It wouldn't matter. Actually, yeah, that is quite upsetting. <laughs> Fucking yeah. hell. Well, let's move on to the topic. So last week I did um, a little story about Isis um, and Hathor, the ladies of ancient Egypt, just because I was really interested in them. And it was International Women's Week or Day or something, wasn't it? So I may as well tie it yeah. in with that. I don't know. Do you want to kick it off or have you got any thoughts or no, feelings about thought. ancient Egypt? I do have some thoughts about it. <laughs> or feelings. Imagine I was just like, no. No. <laughs> End of podcast. I'm completely fucking indifferent. Bye. Um. Yeah. So the. I don't know. The th- I don't even know how I'm planning to explain this. So the thing that I decided to look at because mm-hmm. as I messaged you earlier and says I hadn't really done any research again because of the almost okay. died. I was busy with that. That's not an <laughs> excuse. I me. think that's quite a good excuse. Well, I don't. <laughs> also, I couldn't really read because of the delirium. So, but I remembered when I was in uni, there was like the whole thing about Ka and Ba that they kind of touched on. But they were looking at the idea of like because obviously, well, as with all religions, like you don't really think of the ancient Egyptian religion as having denominations, but there was kind of like differentiation. What do you mean by denominations. 
Well, like, you know how in Christianity you've got, like, Lutheran and Catholic and... Oh, okay. It's like like Shiites and... Yeah, and mm, Sunnis and... Sunnis, right. I couldn't remember the other one, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I get you, yeah. What what about you? Do you have Orthodox? Orthodox, uh, Hasidic, um, what other branches of Judaism are there? No idea, right? But yeah, I think, like, with ancient religions... Not even with ancient Egyptian, I think just with ancient religions, people always mm. tend to kind of go, like, you just think that it was just whatever all it is, that's kind of the main thing that would be the focus if you picked up a book. Yeah, but Egypt was so, like, I think people forget how long the ancient Egyptian civilization was, or it went on for. It went on for quite a few thousand years, so that's quite a long period of time, and obviously over time, religions evolve and change, just like the Bible, I suppose, yes. did. And um, and and also Egypt wasn't a united kingdom. It was basically lower and upper Egypt. So um, it started off with their various different gods, depending on what area of Egypt you came from. I think it wasn't until the Middle Kingdom where the myths of Osiris and Isis sort of like became the common theme, the most popular one that they all followed. I think, like, it seems really like the. <clears throat> the whole sort of like Roman Empire right, the Greek. shifting into Christianity, but still keeping some of the pagan elements yeah. because it was very like even the stuff I'm going to talk about. There are elements of it in what people would think of as the Egyptian religion because of exactly what you're saying that almost the kind of ruling classes would every time there was a change of dynasty, yeah. they would kind of pick bits from. Yeah, the exactly. other denominations that they liked and incorporate that into their denomination. So obviously yeah. we're always changing. Yeah, so I'm going to pick that up with Anubis because he, his role changed throughout the timeline, what you're saying, different dynasties. He 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 sort of changed from like a, an all-knowing god to a sort of demoted one. Um, and I think Foth was a little bit similar, but Foth is different. So I'm talking about Anubis and Foth, basically. I know a bit about Anubis, but I'm <laughs> looking forward to finding out about Foth okay. because yeah, really all I know about him is the little bit from American Gods, as we were talking about before we started recording. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So basically, I would say Anubis is the, the sort of cool emo goth god, and Foth is your nerdy scholarly god, basically, yeah, who likes to study. Which are the two different types of uh, hot. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, guys, <laughs> you're an emo we're, scholar. We're geek and crazy yeah. goth. Yeah. If you um, don't fall into one of those two categories, you're not hot. <laughs> right, so let's get into the car and the bar. The cat and the bit. The car and the bar. I um, remember them as being like birds or spirits or something, like aspects of your soul. Is that right? Or am I... All of that is right. Mm-hmm. So... Basically, I'm kind of looking at, although I'll touch on other denominations' perspectives, but I really just wanted to talk about what, like, the farming, like, Egyptian farmers' religion mm-hmm. believes about Kanba, basically, okay. because, again, I didn't do a lot of research. The common man, <laughs> the common that. people of Egypt, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm actually re- really interested in how they went about their lives and their belief systems, because everyone always goes on about the pharaohs and stuff, like, yeah, okay. They're a bit more glamorous, but what are the real people? What's the socialist view of ancient Egypt? Yeah, that's why I think it's interesting because, like, as I go through this, there are 
there's definitely aspects of it and terminology that they mm-hmm. share with the pharaohs, but obviously not all of them are going to get mummified. When like your approach to religion, if you're a pharaoh, is going to be entirely different from yeah. if you're a peasant farmer. Yeah, because they wouldn't have got mummified. Not all of them. Not every single ancient Egyptian would have the privilege of being going through the funerary rites and everything. They may have had to, like a a poor man's version of it. But well, yeah, that's what I thought was interesting as well, because that was one of the big differences is that basically like those sort of farming classes didn't really give a fuck about mummification, which wow. I, that's why it kind of stuck in my memory from uni, because obviously when you think of Egyptian religion, you think of mummification. What is they need? Yeah. Did you really... bury them in a bog or something? Or in the desert? I mean, basically, yeah. It's um, So, hold on. I've got a wee... I've written a note down because this isn't like car bar, but it wasn't one of the things notes. that I found interesting. Go get those notes. <laughs> oh, so the there's the Egyptian idea of, or the ancient Egyptian religion that we all think of, idea of uh, your Ak, A-K-H, being key after death. And that's why... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Say that again. No, I was just saying, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, yeah. So the pharaohs and people in that kind of stratosphere, if you want, of Egyptian culture, that was why they were really obsessed with mummification because they thought of that as the physical body and they believed that the separate parts of your spirit, which is where Cam back come in, so I'll kind of circle back to that, needed somewhere to come back to. Right, yeah. And that's you. why you were mummified because then your body was preserved, so that meant that your ach was preserved, so that that process and, and was able Thoth, to go forward. Who is the god I'm going to be talking about? He has written shitloads of books, and one of the books is how to basically it's like spells for how to res- be resurrected. So I guess they're tying that into mummification, like you yeah, need something which, to come back to. I thought that was interesting as which well. It's quite Catholic, isn't it? It is quite Catholic, and the whole can buy idea for the yeah. pharaohs did seem to be about reincarnation, whereas for the farming classes, it had absolutely nothing to do with that, being born again. And even, so their whole idea of the ark was, the ark for, like, the farming classes was just the word of what connected the different parts of your spirit. So they thought when you were alive, they were connected because they were, like, sealed in your physical form. So the ark was kind of contained within your body. And then once you died, when they reconnected, that was them returning to like an act form. But it didn't have anything to do with being mummified or having to have a body for them to go to, which is obviously like quite a big difference. Because, again, you think of mummification as mm. being that kind of key thing. And then the can, the bar are the different parts of the, the spirit or soul or whatever you want to call it. Right. What are the different parts then? What's the can? What's the bar? What's the difference between the two of them? And can so you have one without the other? That when you were alive, you had five parts to you. So you had your ach, which again was the connection. So that was your physical body. Your shadow, your and then, which was your shadow. And then the three most important parts, which are your name, which is again, literally your oh, name. The, name. the name is very important. I covered yeah. that in the last episode about how Isis managed to trick Ra into revealing his, his actual name, his secret name. So that she got all of his magical powers. Yes, like that makes, I didn't know that, but that makes sense to me because for mm-hmm. the farming classes, like this belief about life after death, a big part of it is your name, which will kind of circle back to that yeah. as well. Um, you want your name to be remembered because if people remember your name, then you become immortal, basically. Yeah, and mm-hmm. you become immortal on both planes of existence rather mm-hmm. than being 
stuck on one. So the bar was a human-headed bird spirit that basically, like, it exists inside of your physical body. And, again, it's got, like, the body of a bird, but it's got your face. And then when you die, it's then released from your physical body. And its job is basically that after it's released from your physical body, it flies about during the day looking over your loved ones and your descendants. Oh, that's lovely. With your face on it. With your face on it. <laughs> I like that. I don't know if people are actually able to see it, if that makes sense. Like, I think it's kind of like the same nah, idea with ghosts, where there may be a small amount of people that have the gift to, like, see a bar, but most people won't see it. Possibly, but, it but then it makes me, makes me think of more African tribes or tribal people. That's their ancestors looking after them sort of thing. Maybe only certain people can tune in to the ancestors or the, the ba, as you say. Yeah, but the majority of people, well, they can't tune in are still going to kind of, I don't know, benefit, I guess. Benefit from, from it, yeah, yeah. Having yeah, it look yeah. over them. And then that was important to, again, these sort of, I don't know, lay Egyptians. But <laughs> it was also definitely important to the pharaohs because when I was doing a tiny bit of research, I found out that the Canadian Museum of History it has a, they have a bar on display and it's the bar of Nefertiti. And it says, send me a link to that. I'll send you, in fact, I will send you a link to it. But I'll also, I took like a little screenshot of part of the link and it's just basically the, the description on the case of it. Um, I mean, the, it's exactly what I described. It's like an ornate bird's body and it's got Nefertiti's face and it says, this represented her unique character. It stood before a false door, an architect, architectural feature found on the west wall of her tomb. I think that interesting it's Nefertiti because her and her husband were known as the heretic pharaohs because they rejected all the other gods and decided to worship the one god, the Aten. So why are they bringing on, why are they taking on that mythology for themselves? Or was that just after the fact that he died? I don't know. Did he die before her? Well, they had like Nefertiti had a really different idea about the car as well so that might kind of right i mean they totally changed the whole thing and it pissed a lot of egyptians off because a lot of the priests off because it 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 basically made their roles redundant and they didn't have as much power anymore as they used to um, over the pharaohs which is fine that's why they did it one of the other bits that it says in this is that the point of the statue was this was so that people could bring offerings to her even in death. Right. Okay. Because so I, I thought that was interesting because I was like, mm. but clearly you were bringing offerings to the gods. Why would you be bringing offerings to right. Pharaoh? Right. I get you. So it's all about them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like even in death, she still wanted. She didn't mm. want the idea of like her. Ba existing and looking after her family and loved ones. She wanted her Ba to exist almost in like a solid state, visible by everyone, so that people could come and continue to worship her as though she was a goddess. I mean, I suppose in a way she got what she wanted because she's the most well known face of ancient Egypt there is, bar like Cleopatra, which I wouldn't really count her because she's Greek. But yeah, uh, Nefertiti, bar like. You know, Ramesses II and that is probably one of the most well-known faces, apart from Tutankhamun and everything, like one of the women. So she is still remembered, and therefore if people remember her name, then that keeps her, her ba alive, her cow yeah, alive. Yeah, sure Actually, that's a fair point, because that means, yeah, that she can continue to exist in both realms. So mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I suppose, yeah, you're right. She She's kind of done yeah. very well for herself there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even if the people hated her. So then, people love her. Mm. Yeah. the point of other people, not Nefertiti's bar, because obviously she was playing a different bar game, but everybody else's bar, the point of it was, it was going around, it was looking after your family so that at night it could connect to your car and basically like have a chat and just give the car a rundown of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And the car is the truest part of you. So it's basically, it's kind of like just the idea of your spirit or your soul similar idea so it lives on after your death is that the part that goes to like the heaven equivalent of heaven what's it called the the field of reeds or something they call it in ancient egypt the farming classes they thought exactly that that it was the part of them that was effectively immortal because it would go to paradise heaven whatever you want to call it yeah although again just your point on nefertiti she Mm -hmm. had kind of altered the idea on it that which again is kind of given Pharaoh's godlike status that mm-hmm. the point of the cab was that it existed for Pharaohs so that when you died, that important Pharaoh part of you would leave your body to go be born into another body of a future Pharaoh. Okay. So that basically you just got to be Pharaoh forever. Like there was a rotation of, which I suppose <laughs> is almost true. I was going to say there's a rotation of like you would have a kid. And then they would have you. And well, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of incest and like yeah. still goes on in royal families today. Eventually, hopefully it'll die all, it'll all die out. But it's that divine right of kings bullshit that they're going on about. Like they don't think that they'll just go away to heaven forever. They'll come back. And yeah, right. they're so important that they can't possibly go to yeah. this perfect place. They have to be their own grandchild instead. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that a bit like... The Dalai, the, the Dalai Lama is reincarnated, but I don't think it's from the same lineage, is it not just... No, how does that similar, work? But yeah, the Dalai Lama, the idea is that when the Dalai Lama dies, someone else in the world yeah, will not, then be the next the Dalai Lama. So it is that he's born again, but he's not, not born again as his own kid. Yeah, okay. <laughs> See, I was like, I've been listening to a lot of stuff about Scientology, which we all know is a cult. But yeah. maybe L. Ron Hubbard's taking bits and bobs from different mythologies and sci-fi or whatever um, because he said something. And it's obviously a scam because it's a way to keep people in the cult is to say that, well, if you do anything bad in this life, then you've got another life, loads of lifetimes to do over. So they believe that you'll come back. And he's overdue to come back. So apparently L. Ron Hubbard was due to come back in like 21 years after his death like he's got 22 years to fuck about whatever in space he's supposed to be doing on other planets and then he's supposed to come back um as l ron hubbard basically and, he, and they've got an actual room where they put out his pajamas every day and ready for him for coming back but if you actually if someone actually did come back and claim that he was l ron hubbard how the fuck would they know and even if they they he said this and that to prove that he was him they david miscavige would who's like the current chairman of scientology would probably tell him to fuck off because he was the power. well yeah yeah <laughs> but anyway you like see like um i know i'm like talking about scientology but as relevant to what you were saying yeah is that if if in scientology if you leave the cult then you can you're an spe and you can't speak with anyone else in your family or you lose a child or something, then they'll be like, well, you have to get over it because 
you you might be their mother in this life but you'll get another chance to be their mother again in the next life so you can just do it over so it doesn't matter that's <laughs> fucked up isn't it it is I don't think the ancient Egyptians were as extreme as that, but he's just taken part of that mythology probably and used it for himself to lure people in. What do you think? Mark? Hello. <laughs> what happened there? I hit mute because I went to sneeze and then it wouldn't unmute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. I should just have sneezed because that was uh, more disruptive than sneezing. I thought maybe Ellen Robert did come to take you away. I think like um, <laughs> that the Egyptian farming religion would agree with your points that you were making there as well, though, because mm. the pharaohs thought that in order for you to reach or for your car to be allowed into this like paradise afterlife that or again, the pharaohs and the people in their kind of social class. Right. That you had to be two seconds. I've got this somewhere in my notes as well. because that was interesting that you had to be noble just mm-hmm. and follow the creed of the priests that worked under the pharaoh whereas in the farming class they thought that to get into the afterlife you had to be kind and hard working which... see i like that because and yeah. when i was looking into Foth again he's one of the most ancient of the egyptian gods and probably would date to the farmers like the, the common people before the pharaohs basically took over you know like the really early times of ancient egypt yeah Foth was supposedly like he there's story various stories about how he came to existence which again is quite fascinating because there's various different very like variations of it and one of them is that he was born of a fight between horus and set who was like another couple of gods that were fighting and this is mad okay don't laugh but for some reason a bit of um (laughs) horus's semen spunk got into set's mouth (laughs) <laughs> Therefore, impregnating him, <laughs> and he gave birth out his forehead to Foth. And because Horus is good, and set is chaos, like it, he became the balance. So no. he immediately became like a referee between the two of them, and he made sure that their fight was fair and just. And therefore, Foth was known as a balance god. So. Um, that's why he's often his wife is Matt, who's like the the she wears a feather of truth on her head. So again, it's all about justice and the scales of justice. So Foth is like if you lead a balanced life, then you get to go into heaven. Which would make sense as well, because if it's saying you have to be kind and hardworking, yeah. well, you yeah. can't spend all your time looking after other people because you have to. Still yeah. You have to be a balance. And that makes sense in humanity because not everyone is perfect, which again like makes me think of like how people think you should be perfect like Jesus, where no, the whole thing is that if you you can't be perfect as a human and Foth acknowledges that, but if you have the right balance between good and evil, then then you're good essentially you, you win and you get to go to heaven. You're not overly bad and you're not overly nice. And it removes the whole, which you might go on and talk about later, but the whole weighing of the heart thing as well, because mm, although what happens. even in the fatal class, <laughs> that makes no sense because it's like, but why would you be light or good hearted if solely on the basis of just doing what some random priests told you to do? Yeah. But again, the farming class don't even have that whole idea of like you die and you get your heart weighed and everything. It's just like you die where you a good hard work comparison, right, grand sorted, you're fine Off then. Off you go, yeah. 
So if you're a good, hard-working person, Mm -hmm. then after your death, your car spends its days, because remember, at night it meets up with the bar to kind of chat with the family. It spends its days in... So the original belief was it would translate to the land of two fields, which I really like because (laughs) it was basically... Because there were poor farmers, so they had a fields to work on. So... It's not that shitty that, you know, on your, you, you, when you're alive, you work in a field, and then when you're dead, you also work in a field. You'd think you would want to not have to bother with that yeah, shit. Not even you work in a field, you've got two fields. But oh, okay. I, I do like the idea because it was basically like you would have two lush fields oh, okay. surrounded by fresh water. Right. So I quite liked that that was, that was their idea of paradise was like, I've got this one shit field. Imagine having two really nice fields. Well, yeah, that's water. true. Like, fuck yes. So it's, like, uh, familiar but abundant, so you don't yes. have to worry about, like, the, the Nile not flooding or, you know... The yeah, it's field. not, like, a massive change. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah, taste, it's a positive mind. slight change. Okay, yeah, I like it. But then that, which goes in with what you mentioned earlier, was then <laughs> adopted in the during the Fifth Dynasty, so the um, pharaohs and the priests of the Fifth Dynasty adopted the idea of the land of two fields but then they altered it slash bastardized it oh. and they came up with this sect Aru, which Aru, I don't know if I'm saying that right. I think it's sect Aru, which translates as field of reeds. Yeah, that's is, the only thing that I knew. I didn't know about the two fields. I just knew about the field of reeds. But it's like a similar idea, but it's much more, again, because it's the Where they go hun- hunting. About, so. Right, so the, the upper class go to the field of reeds and they hunt and have a laugh and have orgies and stuff. Yes. And the, the lower class just have two fields. But again, I think that shows a nice um, <laughs> class difference that if you're saying okay. to the upper classes, like, oh, what's your idea of a perfect life? And they're like, it would be a paradise. There would be miles upon miles of lush vegetation that all belongs to me. And mm. I would have orgies and giant lakes <laughs> with fresh water and then go hunting by night. And whereas, yeah, a farmer would be like, I'd like two nice fields, just two really nice, healthy fields. Thanks. Nice and humble. <laughs> I mean, if they want to have an orgy in one of their two fields, then fair enough. I mean, you don't need gold to have an orgy. You just need a cock and something to put it in or something to receive <laughs> or something it something to put a cock in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yay, that's my idea of paradise. <laughs> <laughs> one big fuck zone <laughs> every day. In all fairness, the I feel maybe why I like the farmer idea so much is I'm like I think it would be I would absolutely love it if that was what the afterlife was like you just had a nice wee cottage with two big fields that were yours and it was surrounded by fresh water and you could just row your boat over your fresh water and go visit your pals like that sounds nice yeah and you've got your bar to check out your you know your family on back on earth see how they're doing does it have any influence over how their lives pan out or is it just there to I don't know just watch from what i read in the farming version of the religion it was very much like it was there just to watch and i like that there there wasn't like an end to immortality what it was is that again it comes back to the name thing so as long as people remembered your name Mm. then the car would go to look over them no the bar sorry would go to look over them and then would come back and feed back to the car and be like oh here's a lovely story about like your granddaughter or whatever Mm, but then as time went on and people forgot your name, oh, then sorry. the bar would be unable to enter our realm of reality because there wouldn't be anything to feed back. 
whereas then obviously as the religion went on and developed and you get the sort of rich person version of the religion they then had sort of changed that and were like if there's not somewhere if you're not remembered forever and you're not preserved forever then there's nowhere for the bar to rest and that means that you lose your immortality whereas in the original sort of old lay person version of the religion it was just Mm. if people remember you then the bar will come to watch over them and once you're forgotten the bar doesn't really have a job anymore but you still get to be immortal. You still. Oh get right, to right. I get you. That, well, that's nice. I suppose it's a bit like just remember. It's basically just remember your ancestors. Don't forget. Yeah. It's like having pictures of your grand and grandpa that have deceased on your wall. Like the Japanese do it. They have shrines to their ancestors. Yeah, it's exactly that. that was what was... And then say like your family line runs out. There's no more left. You're not having kids. Your family name runs out. There's no one there to remember you by. Then then it's all good, you're still in the afterlife, but the bar just doesn't have anything to go to anymore. Yeah. Is there all in heaven? The bar's kind of done with its job. Yeah. And then I assume, although I've read this nowhere, but just because I think it's cute, <laughs> we'll just come and like nest on the roof of your little cottage in the land of two fields. Oh, that's really sweet. Oh, man. I love the ancient Egyptian religion. <laughs> the more <laughs> I read about it, the more I like it. Right, well, I'm going to get on to my two gods that I'm focusing on in ancient Egypt. Um, one of them is called Anubis. I think he's quite famous. I think most people know who Anubis is. Um, he uh, Well, Anubis is the Greek word for him. His actual Egyptian name is Anpu or Inpu. And he was an extremely ancient deity. His name appears in the oldest mastabas. A mastaba is like a, a sort of early like shrine or place of worship in ancient Egypt. Um, of the old kingdom in the pyramid text and he's a guardian and a protector of the dead now he's got the head of a jackal or sometimes he can be in the appearance of an entire jackal and he usually wears a nice like collar around his neck or a red ribbon and a lot of the pharaohs used to wear belts that represented that as well as a sort of so guardian figure anubis dogs just bred to look like anubis so he's not no, if that makes were... sense so anubis isn't an anubis dog anubis is a jackal well, the reason why they gave the protector of the dead the head of a jackal is because in ancient Egypt, jackals were seen to be like scurrying around places of burial, like raiding. I don't know, they were digging up graves and things like that. They hung around graveyards in ancient Egypt, so they assumed... They, they hung around graveyards just making oh, yeah. as well. Goth dogs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scavengers around burial grounds, so they just... Broken fags and listening to the cure. <laughs> yes! So that's why they gave the Lord, like the protector of the dead, they associated it with those dogs. Um, He's not quite the same as a jackal because jackals have brown fur and Anubis has black fur. The reason why he's completely black is because the ground of ancient Egypt, it represented the the black silt of the, the soil of the land. So he was a protector of. So that's why they um, gave him that colour, because it rep- represents renewal, because yeah. he basically lo- looks after the dead, and the dead may come back, I don't know. When you're mummified, because he was also um, he was also uh, schooled in the art of mummification by Isis, she helped him, and he helped her become pregnant by Osiris, by mummifying him, and 
then she used her magic to become pregnant by him. So he was good at medicine. So he's also like the god of um, herbalists and anaesthetists and surgeons and things. It's pretty cool. That is cool. I also quite like that sort of duality, if you want, there, where it's mm-hmm. like he's the god of death, but he's also the god that's most likely to save you from dying. Yeah, he's 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 nice that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, he, he, um, and and doing it in a less painful way, like to make sure that if you do need to be saved, then you are in less pain because he's given that knowledge to the herbalists who treat you to make sure that you go through it with as little pain as possible. So he's a nice guy, as well as helping you out in the afterlife as well. So he was originally a god of the underworld, but he came associated specifically with the embalming process and funeral rites. His name is the same root as the word for a royal child, so Inpu means child. However, it's also closely related to the word imp, which means to decay. So in one version, most it as a result, his name changed slightly because he once he was once adopted as the son of the King Osiris, and he was also known as Imeut, he who is in the place of embalming, or Nubtajesser. I can't really speak ancient Egyptian. I mean, nobody knows how it was pronounced anyway. Lord of the Sacred Lands, which is the land of Kemet, the black soil. So that's why he's black. Um, he, he's, he changes about, like, sometimes he's the son of Osiris. Sometimes he's not. He's <laughs> They change it about depending on the year of the, the time when his cult was about, you know, like you were saying. Yeah. Um, he was primarily worshipped in Hermopolis as the god of the underworld. And he was also associated with the Eye of Horus, who acted as a guide to the dead and helped them find Osiris. And other myths, Anubis and Wepwawet, or Oop-Out, led the deceased to the halls of Mat, where they would be judged. So this is a story, like, there's a famous picture of Anubis kneeling in the Book of the Dead in the Papyrus, of him weighing the heart. Yeah. So you know that story. Um, he watched, so he was basically in the halls of Matt, which is a place where like the deceased would go to be judged whether they can go to the afterlife or not. So it's quite Christian in a way, like, you know, judgment and all that shit before you can enter the gates of heaven. And you again, there's a sort of differentiation between the, mm. the sort of, if you want, like, high and low Egyptian religion. Yeah. Like that's quite Christian as well, because you've got mm-hmm. like your almost if you compare it to like high Anglican and everyday Protestantism, yeah. it's like are you following all the rules that we've set out? Or do you then just you get your own to, then you're judged good or yeah, just like are you actually mm-hmm. good? Then you're judged good. So he watched over the whole process of the weighing of the heart and ensured that the weighing of the heart was conducted correctly. He then led the innocent onto a heavenly existence and abandoned the guilty to Amit. Amit is a, like a she-demon with the head of a crocodile, I think the feet of a lion or something like that, and she would eat your heart, basically, and then you would just, you wouldn't go to heaven because you're a bad person. <laughs> and Anubis would be the one to lead you through the gates, which I think is nice. Um, they believed that the preservation of the body and the use of the sweet-smelling herbs and plants would help the deceased because Anubis would sniff the mummy and only let the pure move on to paradise. According to early myths, Anubis took on and defeated the Nine Bows, which is a collective name for the traditional enemies of Egypt. So just any of the enemies of Egypt, I guess. Gaining a further epithet, epithet the jackal ruler of the Bows, 
the resulting power of the Enid of Heliopolis resulted in the merging of the two religious systems. Osiris was the king of the underworld in the Enid, and he was more popular and powerful than Nubis. So Nubis was relegated to the god of mummification rather than the god of the dead, because Osiris became the lord of the dead in that in that point. Like so, when Osiris kind of rose in the cult, he was de- like demoted to just the mummification <laughs> god. <laughs> So to save face, it was stated that Anubis had voluntarily given up his position, not just been ousted when Osiris dies as a mark of respect. So they didn't want to piss him off in that way. But I quite so like just, that idea of like mm-hmm. the priests spreading that yeah. word around ancient Egypt. Like, have you heard that Anubis has taken a voluntary demotion just because he's so sad? Some myths even stated that Anubis was the son of Osiris and Nephthys, who was herself associated with funeral rites. Nephthys is the sister of Isis. She's like the knight, the dark equivalent of Isis, whereas Isis is the, the light, the, the, the good mother, and things like that, you know, yang and yang, that kind of thing. Anubis was still closely involved in the weighing of the heart, but he was more of a guardian than a ruler. He became Sorry, the patron I of I can't Wapso. concentrate now because I'm just thinking Why? about his sister being like some <laughs> actual like bar skank. So you've got like your traditional <laughs> patron of Isis and then just her like hanging off a bar with a gin in one hand and a fag in the other and somebody being like, should you not be looking after your Wayne? She's like, I don't think I've got any Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's totally cool. <laughs> and I like to, yeah, she's just like a badass bitch. Don't give a shit. I like her. Um, nobody really talks about her that much though I, I really think I think she's interesting and I like the fact that like she's associated with Anubis but I don't think Anubis is the type to have he's got a female version of himself but I don't think he was the type to have a wife kind of thing like I think he's got a female side and a male side yeah is the female version of him like just him when he's sometimes a woman or is it like no it's just twin it's... sister or what's what's the chat there I think it's just like every god has a sort of female equivalent, but it's, they're they're not necessarily like they're the same person. Like you know, like sometimes in Norse mythology, um, Odin can switch between a man and a woman. Sometimes, yeah, it's the same the same as that. I think depending on the situation. So basically, he has, he's queer. Oh yeah, maybe <laughs> they're all they're all queer apparently. Bunch of queers. It depends how you you look at it. If you want to look at it like that, then fine. Or if you want to look at it like they have two separate identities, one's a, a goddess, one's a god, then but they're the same, then you can look at it like that. I think Hinduism has that sort of thing. I don't know. Um, so he became the patron of lost souls, including orphans, and the patron of funeral rites. In this respect, he overlapped with and eventually absorbed the jackal god. Oh, so there's another one, Wet of Upper Egypt. So there's like various version, different versions of him. Anubis became associated during the Greek times of the god Hermes as the messenger of the gods, while he was again the principal guide of dead. He was worshipped. I do like he's doubling up. Yeah, he was worshipped. Here's the souls. Here's your letters. Catch you tomorrow. Well, then I suppose it makes sense because if you can, if you can wander around the underworld, then he could like go between two realms, between gods and whoever, and then like to people because he he looks after them. Priests wore Anubis masks during mummification. It's not clear whether the Anubis mask was a later development influenced by the Osiris myth or whether this practice was commonplace in the earlier periods too. Anubis was also closely associated with the 
immute fetish used during the embalming ritual. Anubis was credited with a high level of anatomical knowledge as a result of embalming, so he was really good at, like, you know, like I say, surgery and things. Yeah. And so he was a patron of anesthetology, and his priests were apparently skilled herbal healers, so they're the, the equivalent of doctors in the time, so they would wear Anubis masks or associate them with Anubis or worship him, like leave offerings for him. Tombs in the Valley of the Kings were often sealed with an image of Anubis, subduing the nine bows, enemies of Egypt. And it was thought that the god that would protect the burial, he would protect their burial physically and spiritually. One of his epithets, which means he who is on his mountain, refers to him guarding the necropolis and keeping watch from the hill above the Theban necropolis. So again, he like hangs around graveyards. Like, I mean, if you can imagine like Anubis hanging about the necropolis in Glasgow. That's okay. his that's his realm, that's where he likes to hang. <laughs> that's why I like him, because he's tall god. <laughs> he was originally thought to be the son of Ra and Hisat, Ra's wife, who was also identified with half horse. These gods can like like I said in the last episode as well, they can switch and exchange between each other. So Hathor can often be associated with Isis and vice versa and they merge in with each other now and then um, or cross over into each other's mythology. It's confusing. But later myths held that he was a child of Osiris and Nephthys. I, th- I guess it means that the way the religion evolves, they change the story to suit themselves. Yeah. To suit that time. He was sometimes described as the son of Bast because of her link to the perfumed oils used in embalming. His wife, Anput, his female aspect is called Anput, was the only referred to in association with the 17th Nomi of Upper Egypt. It's thought that they were the parents of Kebeshe, the goddess of purification. So his daughter, Anubis, his daughter, is the goddess of purification, which makes sense because it often you have to be pure, you have to be mummified or purified to get into the afterlife. Yeah. So that's why she's his daughter. Um, yeah, dogs and jackals often patrolled the edges of the desert near the cemeteries where the dead were buried. And it's what the first tombs were constructed to protect the dead from them. Anubis was usually thought of as a jackal, but may have equally been a wild dog. Uh, he was usually depicted as a man with the head of a jackal and alert ears. His ears were always, always upright, very pointy nose and more pointy muzzle, like a jackal, I guess. Um, he would wield a flail. He often wore a red ribbon. He was sometimes depicted as an entire jackal, or he, he rarely appears, appears as a full man, but there is examples of that on uh, the Temple of Ramses II at Bydos. He's there as a fully formed man, like no mask, nothing, just a man. Yeah, so basically that's it. That's Anubis. Um, he was worshipped throughout Egypt. The centre of his cult was in Hardai and the 17th Nomi of Upper Egypt. To the east of Saqqara, there was a place known as Anubion, where a shrine and a cemetery of mummified dogs and jackals was discovered. He was oh. also worshipped at cult centres in Abd, um, the 8th Nomi of Upper Egypt, and Sout, uh, a suit in the 13th. Like, yeah, so variously, he was worshipped everywhere, basically, in various forms and denominations, like you say. Yeah. Some places he was like the the actual ruler of the underworld, and in other places he was just like devoted to be Osiris's helper. <laughs> he wasn't the god of the underworld; he was just the god of mummification. God of the underworld. Yeah. <laughs> was is. 
I think I like to think him as God of the Underworld style as well. Um, no offense to Cyrus, but yeah, I prefer Anubis. Thanks. <laughs> I can't just storm in and take somebody's job when they're doing a good job. Exactly. Oh, they, they, there are stories that he was raised by um, Isis um, because Nephthys is the sister of Osiris and she, she had, had better shit to do. Well, yeah, she doesn't give a shit about her son, so Isis raised them. Like you say, she's at the bar, don't give a shit about her children. She was going to a gig <laughs> and then didn't come back. She's like, Isis, can you look after him? So I'm going to this gig this weekend. And then <laughs> 2007 years later. Uh, he's always there at the opening of the mouth ceremony, which uh, I should really, like, that's another probably episode we can talk about that. Uh, there's so many different ceremonies in ancient Egypt. Yeah, that, I mean, basically just covers Anubis. I've got a statue of Anubis on my desk right now. I've got a few um, statues of the ancient Egyptian gods that I got when I was in Egypt. So he's one of them. Um, and then I come to Foth. Or I don't know if it's pronounced fault. I can't see my THs, so it sounds like I'm saying F O F Foth. <laughs> I can't really say Thoth either. Thoth. Foth. <laughs> he has many names as these gods do. Foth is his Greek name because most of the most of the names for the ancient Egyptian gods, like Isis, is a Greek Greek version, like all the Greek names. Ra is a Greek name. Like Isis's name in ancient Egypt is Aset. Nephthys, I think, is I don't, I'm not I'm not sure. I think that is her Egyptian name. I don't know what her um, Greek equivalent is. So Foth also has names such as um, Tehuti, Jehuti, Tahuti, Tehuti. Basically, variations on Huti, <laughs> Tetu or Tetu. Again, he's one of the earliest Egyptian gods. He's popular throughout all of Egypt, but was particularly venerated in Kum or Kunum. Hermopolis. Again, that's associated with Anubis as well, so they cross over um, I think they're buddies, where he was worshipped as part of the Ogdoad. What is the Ogdoad? Just going to check that. It's a city of Hermes in Greek. Oh. And it was a cult of the god Foth, major centre of the cult of Foth. Um, The Egyptians knew as Kumunu, city of the eight. The Odd the Og Doad was a system of eight deities, four gods and their consorts. The number four was considered to represent completeness. Each pair represented the male and female aspects of the four creative powers or sources. Nun and Nuet represented the primeval waters. He and Hauhet represented eternity. Kuk and Kuaket represented darkness. And Amun and Amunet represented air or that which is hidden. Wherever the gods differ from one source to another, right? So it's like a there's so many aspects to ancient Egyptian mythology. It's so confusing. Yeah, <laughs> it's split into all these different parts. Yeah, so that's what that is. As the power of his cult grew, the myth was rewritten to make Foth the creator god. Um, according to this variant, Foth in the form of an ibis. Now ibis are really cute little birds. I, I loved when I went to Florida because there's there's shitloads of ibis birds just. Like they're just common, they just won't run about like you would see, say, like starlings or seagulls over here, <laughs> just cutting about our crows. And they're little birds, and they've got like these long curved beaks that curve down, and they're really thin. And he's associated with like Foth often has the head of that bird because it reminds you of like it reminded them of the the beaks reminded them of a crescent moon, you know, when the, the moon's really like a thin little slice in the sky. If that makes sense. Good You're gonna look. Yeah, they're so cute. I love them. I think I'm <laughs> so, walking my head with some other sort of bird. 
A what? An ibis? Some other sort of bird, but I don't know what. Well, he's also associated with baboons as well. So he's either got the head of a baboon or he's got the head of a, an ibis bird. So in the creation myth with Foth, he, in the form of an ibis, one of his sacred animals, he laid an egg from which Ra, is, who's the king of the gods, was born. Other myths suggest that Foth created himself through the power of language. Now, this takes us, this is what I found fascinating when I was looking into Foth, because you know how, like, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in Genesis, that before there was anything, there was, the, like, the, the, there was nothing, and then when God said the word. Yes. What, how's that go? I don't know. Yeah, in you the beginning. There was God, and then there was nothing. It was just, oh, like. Two seconds. Let me grab it. <laughs> Just over here. Have to grab his Bible to find it. <laughs> I was talking. I don't know. I, I want I to say know. in the beginning there was nothing. God said, "Let there be light," and there yes. was light. But and there was a word or something. I'm done. In the beginning, huh? yeah, there was nothing. God said, "Let there be form." Right. And there was heaven and earth. Uh huh. And the earth was without form. Right. And void and darkness <laughs> was upon it in the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved inside the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. And then there was light. And then it just kind of follows that pattern. Oh. God said, let there be something. And then there was something. So, yeah, oh, it actually says it. And here I've got it here. So it says that he created himself through the power of language in an interesting parallel to the phrase in the gospel, according to St. John, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Mm. So that's a similar parallel with Foth. Only Foth is more ancient than that. So they must have got it from from ancient Egypt somehow that must have been an inspiration for the Bible it's a bit of a coincidence but then most of the Old Testament is <laughs> just lifted from elsewhere yeah that's true his song was thought to have created eight deities of the Ogdod right so that's the four main deities like that make up the air the sky the earth and all of that and then they have like it's a bit like Greek and Roman mythology where you've got like your your creative your creator gods and then they create like they have sons and daughters and they've got like various tasks to do with humans or whatever they've yeah. all got their place so you've got your elemental god so that's basically Foth is the creator and not Ra the moon and the sun were instant initially thought of as the left and right eyes of Horus but according to legend Horus's left eye the moon was injured in a fight with Set and was restored by Foth but then there's also the legend that Foth was actually born of Set because of what I told you earlier yes <laughs> So the story changes, it, it evolves and changes depending on where you are. However, as time progressed, the moon came to be associated with Thoth, possibly because the crescent moon, like I said, resembled the beak of an ibis. During the late period, Thoth gained prominence with Kunum, Her- Hermopolis, um, became the capital. Archaeologists found thousands of mummified ibis who were buried with honour in his name, but that's a common thing. Like You'd find loads of mummified cats near anywhere where they worship Bastet and so on with Anubis I with dogs see, and way, crocodiles and with like yeah looking at the ibis bird how it does look like a crescent moon and also it turns out that an ibis bird was what I thought it was and was also what you were describing because apparently there's 534 different types of ibis <laughs> yeah birds. I just wish they were they, they would hang about over here like in the UK because I love yeah, them so much really cool <laughs> So although Osiris and Isis were generally credited with bringing civilization to mankind, Thoth was also thought to have invented writing, 
medicine, magic, and the Egyptian civil and religious practices. So he's like the wise geek of the gods. He Again, was even oh. credited. Yeah, <laughs> I love him. That's why in American Gods, in the show American Gods, him and Anubis run a funeral parlor because they're both associated with, like, well, obviously Anubis with the dead and mummification, and Foth is there to write down all the. Well, Foth is basically, he writes down the records of every soul that goes into heaven. Yeah. He writes their stories, basically. He's. He, he records, he's a god of records, which I like. He writes down your story and keeps it in the Hall of Records or whatever, which I think is cool. And he also taught like language and everything and knowledge to the people. So he was a patron of scribes and the written word. He was a scribe of the underworld and he recorded the verdict on the deceased in the Hall of Matt and was given the epithets He Who Balances the god of equilibrium and the master of balance. He maintained the god of equilibrium is a very cool name. That is cool, isn't it? He also maintained the library of the gods with the help of his wife, uh, who's called Seshat, the goddess of writing. And, or again, you could say it's not his wife, it's just his female self, which, I don't know, depends how you look at it. He was a scribe of the gods and often described as the lord of the divine body, scribe and the company of the gods and the voice of Ra or the counsellor of Ra, who along with Matt stood on the sun barge next to Ra on his nightly voyage across the sky. So he would keep Ra with like, you know, like guidance and balance and you know, keep him on the straight and narrow, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it was also thought that Ra gave Foth an area of the underworld to rule in the land of the caves. He kept a register of those in his realm and decreed just punishments for their transgressions and acted as Ra's representative in the afterlife. In this role, his wife was Ma'at. The so He's got two wives. I don't know. Depends on where he is. <laughs> It was said that he was the author of the spells in the Book of the Dead and the Book of Bravings, which was also attributed to Isis. He was also given the grand title, the author of every work on every branch of knowledge, both human and divine. So he knows absolutely everything. He knows all the secrets to the universe. Egyptian mythology. Now, this is what I find really fascinating. Egyptian mythology speaks of the Book of Thoth, in which the god inscribed all of the secrets of the universe but anyone who read it would become the most powerful sorcerer in the world. <laughs> now, does that tempt you to find it? I mean, yeah. But there is a catch. Aww. So you could be the most powerful sorcerer in the world, but you would be cursed by their knowledge. Needless to say, people have been searching for this text despite the warning. And some more colourful theories propose that it's hidden in a secret chamber in or near the Great Pyramids. This book is said by some to be the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, a work of dubious authenticity, which suggests that Thoth and the other gods were from Atlantis. Now, come on. (laughs) I don't believe that. That went quite random there. (laughs) Thoth was a great magician who knew all that is hidden under the heavenly vault. He used his knowledge to help Isis after the murder of her husband Osiris by his brother Set or Seth. With the help of Anubis, he created the first mummification ritual and helped resurrect Osiris. He also protected the son of Osiris, Horus, by driving a magical poison from his body when he was very young and supported him in his fight to gain the throne, which was rightfully his. Many of the Egyptians' religious and civil rituals were organised according to our lunar calendar. So he 
Right. How many deers in the year are there, Mark? 365. Right. Now, the re- now FOF is responsible for this, which is also amazing. Because before there was only 360 days in the Egyptian calendar. But as FOF was associated with writing and with the moon, he was also linked to the creation of the calendar. Now, the reason for this was, according to myth, he earned the extra days by gambling with the moon, also known as Ayabet or Konsu, in a game of dice to help the goddess Nut. She was pregnant by her brother slash husband Geb, but Ra forbade her to give birth on any day of the Egyptian calendar. The reason for this is because he was worried that whatever god she would give birth to would like basically endanger his authority as a god. Um, he was worried that, about that. So so Foth won a portion of light from the moon in this bet, which equated to five new days. And Newt gave birth to her five children on those days, which were Osiris, Horus the Elder, Seth, Isis and Nephthys. So he's resp- he's the reason why we have 365 days in the calendar. I like that as a reason. Because he was being nice. Days. Otherwise, poor Newt would be forever pregnant and she can never give birth to her children. <laughs> And eventually, Ra was like, okay, fair enough. I've seen the error of my ways. That wasn't very nice. So, well done. (laughs) Uh, Foth was also known as a good counsellor and persuasive speaker. In one version of the ancient myth, Foth and Shu were sent by Ra to persuade the Eye of Ra. Now, the Eye of Ra is his his female side, or his daughter is female version of himself, spirit of himself. And she fucked off, basically. He he, he was like, you, you, I need to be with the Eye of Ra, because if the Eye of Ra is gone, then his power wanes and Egypt suffers. So he's like, like, Foth, can you help me out here? So he said, right, I need her to come home when she left Egypt for Nubia. According to the myth, all of the precious water left Egypt with her, causing the land to become parched and dry because she left. Meanwhile, she was rampaging around Nubia, killing animals and humans and drinking their blood. A lot of female <laughs> goddesses tend to do this. Yeah. So mental. Foth and Shu disguised themselves as baboons. I was going to ask you, like, what was she away doing? I didn't imagine that it was, like, just eating people. <laughs> That's what Yasmin's away to <laughs> on her travels. <laughs> An animal sacred to Foth. Right, so he, they, they disguised themselves as baboons and began to search for the wayward goddess. When they found her, she refused to come home because she was really happy doing what she was doing. Foth told her that Egypt missed her terribly and that the whole land was suffering in her absence, and he promised her great processions and celebrations if she would come home. Apparently he had to ask her like over a thousand times before she agreed to come back. (laughs) So he was persistent. Eventually, she agreed, won round by his extravagant tales, and the three returned to Egypt, accompanied by Nubian musicians, dancers, and baboons. They travelled up the Nile from city to city, bringing back the water, and there was much rejoicing. <laughs> so he's a charming motherfucker as well. Like he's very persuasive, which he would be since he's like the god of writing and yeah. it's very like good. Um, like with literature he was said to be the husband or sometimes father of Seshat an ancient goddess of wisdom as time passed Foth gradually absorbed most of her roles and she was seen largely as his female aspect they had a child called Hornub and at Kum he was a husband of, it doesn't say what Hornub does I genuinely just laughed because Hornub sounds a bit like Pornhub Pornhub I know <laughs> there you go she's the goddess of Pornhub <laughs> 
<laughs> Sometimes he would be considered to be the husband of Matt, the goddess of truth, because he could take the form of a baboon. He was sometimes described as the partner of Astanu, one of the male baboons who lived in the underworld. So he had a gay partner who was a baboon. I like the idea that he had a gay baboon husband. <laughs> yeah. Most often protected as a man with the head of an ibis. He holds a scribe's palette and a stylus, but he could also be depicted with an ankh, representing life, and a scepter, representing power. Foth sometimes wore a crescent moon on his head, but he also was depicted wearing the Atef crown and the double crown of Upper and Lower Egypt. When he was acting as the voice of Ra, he carried the Eye of Ra, the lady who he got back from Nubia. Occasionally, Foth was depicted as an ibis or a baboon. We yeah, have covered that. It's thought that the bird was associated with the moon because of its crescent-shaped beak. And the baboon is an eternal animal which has a peculiar habit of chattering at the sun every day before going to sleep. Yeah, so there you go. That's Foth. Again, two gods that I really like and I think work well together as well. I think they're pals and I like that they are pals and they work together in American gods. It really makes me happy. <laughs> I liked all aspects of both of them. I like that yeah. one of them is canonically bi. Yeah. There's not enough bi representation in the gods. I've been saying that for years. I mean, I suppose if he, he knows all the knowledge and of every of everything of the secrets of the universe, it, it would make sense that he's like pansexual and he doesn't really care who's with. Like everyone's yeah. cool to him, and he's the god of the balance of equilibrium. So it makes sense that he would both like men and women. Yeah. Or male and female, because that's a balance, isn't it? Or baboons and. So he's got a baboon husband in the underworld. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, there's so many stories about Foth. I really like him. Yeah, but the, he, how did he accidentally swallow the semen of Horus? I mean, what was going on there? Yeah, accidentally. It was accidentally in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think ancient Egypt is just so fascinating, like the different mythology is such an in-depth mythology. There's so many different stories and you can pick and choose about which god you you particularly want to have a relationship with, I think. For me, it was Isis for a long time. I was fascinated with her, but now I think I'm I'm getting into Foth. Yeah, um, also. Mm. I don't have a statue of Foth, though, so that's a shame. I should probably get one. Yeah. <laughs> I only have statues of Bast. Oh, I've got the one that you got me. That was beautiful. I've got a few of Bast, actually. I've got Sobek, and I've got Sekhmet, who is the lioness, goddess of war. Yes. And that's really it. I've got Osiris and Isis um, and various papyrus on my wall. Yeah, I'm a big Egypt nut, basically. <laughs> As I said, like last week, I've got a tattoo of Isis on my back. I might get Horus, or I could get Thoth, actually. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. Think I about. kind of want a Thoth now after you chat mm. about I'm a fan. Yeah, so basically I think Thoth is, I see him as a kind god. He's not one to be violent or anything. If anything, he stops violence. He 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 stops the chaos. He tries to calm people down. And he's very, like, I like a scholar. I like that about him. He's very, he's like the voice of reason, basically. Yeah. And that's why he's the voice of Ra, I suppose. Because Raj just gets on with fighting whatever serpent, he's Apophis, he's fighting Apophis and he's boat. So Foth is there to basically speak on his behalf and make sure that he doesn't like go off the path <laughs> of righteousness. I don't know. <laughs> and he also he has his own patch of the underworld where he has a baboon husband and he writes down everyone's story. Yeah. 
fabulous. I like yeah, all aspects of him. He's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so have we got anything else we want to add to ancient Egypt, Mark? No, I think you're right. We could uh, come back and do another, yeah. at least another episode on ancient Egypt. I think there's so much. It's yeah, we can maybe talk about the various rituals that the priests would do, like the opening of the mouth and various ceremonies. Like We could cover that in another yeah. episode. Rather than just the gods, you know, obviously the gods are a part of it, but I think it's interesting, you know, like Catholic Mass, where they have their rituals with their waving about of uh, altar boys, I was going to say, but no, passing around altar boys, uh, drinking wine and bread and <laughs> incense. <laughs> I have been to a Mass, it was a funeral. Drinking but bread and wine and incense. <laughs> All mixed that in. Popular cocktail. I didn't take part in that part. Like I was tempted to. I thought, well, maybe I should just try it and see what it's like. Although the thought of like drinking from a communal wine cup did put me off slightly. But then the person I was with at the funeral was like, no, don't, don't do it, because you're not, you're not a Catholic. I'm like, what? Am I going to burst any flames if I do this? Yes. Okay. I've seen <laughs> many person burst any flames at mass. <laughs> Alright, well, what's going to be next week's topic, Mark? If you got your list, I drew. I'm okay. still eating pretzels. I'd like mm. the last show that I've been eating pretzels. Mmm, pretzels. Are they salty? They are salty. They're very. Oh, salty. you can get Great. sweet pretzels. I think I've had like honey-covered pretzels before, or caramel ones, or chocolate-covered ones. Now I'm mm, just naming like all the different one. pretzels. Mm. I think can I prefer the pretzels salt. next week. Yeah. <laughs> The origin of the pretzel. It must have. I'm sure it has a myth behind it, like the croissant does, because that's a. Is that not like a an Islamic symbol? The crescent, the croissant. Is yeah. That, we could do on food. Have we done that before? Like origins, like myths and like hot cross buns. We've done food myths before. Have we? I think so. Right. Well, anyway, what number should I pick? I. Uh, what number should you? Pick? One between one and twenty. Wow, the list's getting longer. Um, I'm gonna go for fifteen. Okay, uh, fifteen is cannibalism. Oh, <laughs> yay! Yay, cannibalism. <laughs> it was funny because we were talking about pretzels, so <laughs> and we said we were gonna do something. I suppose it's a kind of food, so yeah. I'm sure some people are still cannibals this very day. Maybe right this second. Mm. Maybe I'll have someone's eating their gran. Chewy, that, would it not? A bit grisly. Okay, their baby. Mmm, no sweet baby cheeks. Okay. <laughs> right, let's. <laughs> Sorry, Foth. I'm going to go to hell for that. I apologise. <laughs> get... My heart's going to get fed to the Amet. Demon. I'm fine because I was balanced because I talked about eating grandmothers and babies. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you balanced it out. So, <laughs> all good. Right. Well, that will be our next week's episode. Thanks very much for listening. I've been Leslie Anderson, and Mark has survived death. I have. Bye. <laughs>